0: If you remain standing now as we read God's word together, uh, these words uh, from the letter to the Ephesians. Let us read this together. I therefore, the prisoner and the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as some of you know, I came on staff here at Acts Two about two and a half years ago, and. Uh, at that time, uh, this building was just being finished and, um, you know, being on staff and everybody kind of having responsibilities and everybody working really hard to get into the building. And, and then I showed up uh, in the middle of June and, uh, you know, everybody's just getting ready and, and all these things. I really didn't have many responsibilities, many things to do. And uh, one of the jobs that I, that I did get um, was uh, for me and Jeff Hedrick, uh, the church business administrator, uh, our responsibility is to work on the child check in systems, uh, these computer systems that we have out in the gathering space uh, that help us check in children and be secure and know which child is where. And, um, you know, as kind of the uh, 20 the something, the, the token 20 something, my job is to work on the computer, right? And, um, and so this is one of, one of my jobs. And um, really, uh, Jeff and I just kind of like threw ourselves into it. Um, you know, it required a lot of work, these computers, you know, getting them up and running and, you know, getting the scanner to work and the printer to work and all of them to work with a computer program and, and you know, putting all the check-in systems together and, and really doing this was a lot of work. And so Jeff and I, you know, were working several weeks and, and you know, showing up early and leaving late and, and doing all of this work to get these check-in systems up and running. And, and, and we were just doing everything we could to get these things working. And then uh, one day, uh, Pastor Mark came into the office and and he, he came in and he grabbed me and Jeff, um, and he sat us in the classroom, and, and he looked at us and he said, you know, what is the goal of Acts 2? What is the goal of Acts 2? And, and having been on staff for like two weeks, you know, I worked really hard at memorizing that line, and so I was really proud when I was like, to help non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. You know, I, I didn't do that, but you know, I, um, I, I was pretty proud of myself, right? Like, I got this down. You know, to help non-religious, non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. And he said, okay, it's, it's to help bring outside people in. And I said, yes. And he said, how is the check-in system doing that? I have no idea. To be honest, to say I was frustrated in that moment would have been to understate it. I, I was mad. I, I, I was mad because Jeff and I had been working so hard. We, we had been working so hard to get these check-in systems, get these computers up and running. We had been solely focusing on this thing and here Mark was asking a different question. See, we had been focusing on the what. We, we had been focusing on, on these check-ins on these computers getting this running and Mark was there asking the question, why? Why? Because... Mark knew what Simon Sinek says uh, in in his book, simply titled, Why, that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. In that moment and in that meeting, we made several key changes that, that I believe truly benefited the church, all because we asked the question, why? And my hope, my prayer for you today is that we would all have an opportunity to ask ourselves the very same question. Why? Because what we know as people of faith is that our motivation is very key to the very thing that we are. That that if we ask this question, why, if we ask ourselves this question and can come up with an answer, then we will know our motivation for why we are doing what we are doing. Because if we are doing something for the wrong reasons, then we are doing the wrong thing. That if we're doing something for the wrong reasons, we are doing the wrong thing. Because if we're only focused on the what, if we're only focused, if we only work in our jobs to get paid, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons, we're doing the wrong thing. That if we truly have a passion around it, if we truly believe in what we are doing, then then we will work no matter how much money we get paid or how little we get paid. Then we will work long hours, pour blood, sweat, and tears into it because we believe in it. So I want to ask you, why are you doing what you are doing? Why are you doing what you are doing? Maybe it's your job. Why do you work where you work? Or maybe it's about your family. Or about your your life, your practices, your habits. it's about the way you spend money. Why do you spend money the way you spend money? Why do you live where you live? Why do you have the friends that you have? My guess is we don't ask this question very often. And, And if we truly assessed it, if we truly looked inward and really asked ourselves this question, we might come up with the answer because we've always done it. Right? It's, just, it's just what I've been doing as long as I can remember. This is just you know, what I, I, I was supposed to do, I guess, because I've been doing it. And, friends, that's not the right answer. And so, I ask us again why are we doing what we are doing? Because if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, then we're doing the wrong thing. Paul asks this question uh, when he writes to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And, and when he writes to Ephesus, he's actually writing to the capital of Asia Minor, a very busy metropolis, full of diversity, full of different people from all walks of life. And he, and he writes this letter. Um, some scholars debate whether it was actually Paul or whether it was a devotee of his, uh, depending on the author or the date, depends on the author. So anywhere between 59 and 90 AD. But what's important to note is that the writer was in prison when he wrote it. The, the writer was imprisoned when he wrote it, and, and because he believed in what he was doing. Because he knew the why, because he, he full-heartedly believed this, even though he was in prison, and he would have to depend on the kindness of others to bring him food. There, there, there was no food distribution in the prison systems in this time that he had to depend on the kindness of his friends, his family around him to deliver him food. He would also ask for, for pen and paper for quills that he could actually write letters to churches around him and actually encourage them in the faith while he is in prison. And and from there, he writes words like this, that I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, notice here he doesn't distinguish the fact that he's actually in prison. He says, I, prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That, That we are called to lead a life worthy of our calling. Lead a life worthy of our calling. Notice what does not get said right? And, and, and here we have, you know, just this line that says, do not lead a life of, and then a blank, and, and really it's, uh, I have some suggestions of, of what Paul did not say, or, or the writer did not say, uh, but if any of these apply to you, uh, great. If none of them, then write your own answer in there, um, that, that, you know, do not lead a life worthy of someone else, right? Lead a life worthy of your calling. Do not lead a life worthy of someone else. We are not called to live somebody else's life, and we are not called to live somebody else's calling, that God has given you gifts, graces, that God has blessed each and every one of us to be the, the best us we can be, to be the best us we can be and nobody else. And so the way we live in this calling is use all those gifts and graces to glorify God and, and we aren't called to live somebody else's life because that won't, wouldn't bring glory to God. So do not lead a life worthy of someone else. Do not lead a life of a political, worthy of a political agenda. That our entire calling, our, our entire purpose is not lead a life worthy of the Democratic or Republican Party. That we are called to a much higher purpose than that, friends. Paul does not say lead a life worthy of a political agenda. Also, do not lead a life worthy of your job. Do not lead a life worthy of your title. Because if we just focus on these things, friends, then we're thinking too small. Paul says, lead a life worthy of your calling. Lead a life worthy of your calling. That this, this calling that the writer is focused on is the why, that calling is why, that, that if we find our calling, then we have found our why, why we are doing everything that we are doing. And if we ask the question why, if we ask the question why of ourselves enough, we will get to that calling, we will get to that thing, and then everything else will drive out of that. Everything else will stem from our why, everything else will stem from our calling. And notice whenever Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, whenever he does this, he he does not give them just like each individual jobs, right? You stand over here and you go do this and then you go do that. He he doesn't give them each individual jobs, but he asks them about their calling. He asks them about their passion. And he starts to give them this framework. And he says, if you start to operate in this way and in this manner, you will find it, right? He gives them this framework and he says, operate with all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of this spirit in the bond of peace. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. He talks about unity. Be unified because God is unified. But what is it? unity look like? What does it mean to be unified? One thing unity is not is it is not uniformity. That thanks be to God, we do not have to be the exact same people, right? That all of us have been given a calling, God has blessed each and every one of us and God has called each and every one of us and all of us are called to live out that calling in a different way. That we are not called to think and act and be the same people. That we are called to be a little bit different. That we are called to have diversity in our community of faith. And what we realize, you know, as people who have a particular kind of wealth Um, We get to make a lot of choices for ourselves. We get to make a lot of choices, and and what we find is that most often we will choose to be with people like us. And so we'll move into neighborhoods uh, where people think and act like us, And, and we will have our children go to schools with people who act and think like us, and then we'll do different activities and all of these things because these people operate like us. And what we find is that we start to lean towards this uniformity and miss the diversity That the church is one of the last places, the church is one of the last places where people can gather together and disagree, and disagree, thanks be to God, thanks be to God that we can come here and that we can believe that we all have received one calling and believe that we are called to, to live it out in different ways, and we are called to have diversity, friends. We are called to have diversity in our lives and people who disagree with us and that is a good thing friends it is a blessing when it happens because we have all received the same calling and that is to glorify God to glorify God and you know I I don't believe that that God has called each and every one of you to be ministers I don't think that's what you know, each and every one of us are called to be. I think that would be uniformity and not diversity, that each and every one of us has been blessed with an ability to be a, a mom, a dad, a husband or a wife, a sister, a brother, a friend, a doctor, a nurse, whatever it is. All of us have been blessed to be something. And, and the way we glorify God is not only to come here on Sunday morning, not only to come here and to worship God, but the way we glorify God is to use all of those gifts and graces that we have been given, all of those gifts and graces to, to be you and just to be the best you you can be by the grace and glory of God because Christ died for us. He said that, I came, that you may have life and have it abundantly, that you may be you and be the best you possible. That that Christ died for us, and that means that we get to have this kind of life. Because if we live life, if we live life just like everyone else, we will be tired and exhausted, and and angry, and people will look at us and see no difference in our lives, and this will not be a witness. If if everyone looks at our lives and sees no difference between people standing there, then then our lives won't be a witness. We will lose the salt. We will lose the difference. And it says, God has blessed you with a calling. Live a life worthy of it. Because our calling is not only for our benefit, but is for the benefit of those around us. Our calling is not only for our benefit, it's also for the benefit of those around us. That when we start to be the best people we can be, others will look at us and want the same thing. They will see the joy that we have and they'll ask about it. And we will call to be an accounting of it. And they will say, Why are you so happy? Why do you live life with such passion, with such zeal? And we get to say, Because Christ died for us. Thanks be to God. That this calling that we have is not just to benefit us, it's not just ours to squander, but it's ours to share. So why do you do what you do? Because if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, then we're doing the wrong thing. One of the questions that, that I've been asked, you know, several times now is, uh, you know, we here at Acts Two have a particular opportunity as we are getting ready to launch an extension campus called One Church, and 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 I get asked, and rightfully so, why we are doing this thing, you know, why are we starting this extension campus? Why are we doing this? And um, as you know, kind of the campus pastor, I, I get to give an accounting of that. I get to give a reason for that, and, and I get really excited about that. One of the reasons that we are starting an extension campus is because there are 28,102 people within a five-mile radius of Acts 2 that do not have a church home. Over 28,000 people within a five-mile radius of here have no church home. And I want you just to imagine those people. Imagine those 28,000 people. And maybe they're, they're families, or, or maybe they're single. Or, just, just imagine them. And what do these 28,000 people do in the midst of a crisis? I know church is not just here so that that we can have a fix for our crisis but what we realize is that most people realize their need for faith when a crisis comes. What will these 28,000 people do when their parent dies? When they find that their child has been experimenting with drugs? what will these 28,000 people do when they get laid off? Friends, these 28,000 people, they are our responsibility. We are called to reach out to them. That's why, that's why, We are starting an extension campus called One Church. Because what we know is that new things have an ability to reach new people. Uh, You know, Acts 2 is a relatively young church. We've only been on this property for 15 years. But, you know, anybody who moves just into town uh, within the last, you know, couple of years, they will see that this church has been here and will assume that it's an older existing church. What we know is that new ministries reach new people. Uh, The writer named Bill Hull has done some research about this actually and found that a church uh, between zero and three years old only needs three attendees to bring one new person to faith. A a new church, a new ministry between zero and three years old only needs three people coming to worship to bring one new person to faith. Uh, When the church gets a little bit older, uh, between three and ten years, it takes seven people and then when the church gets older than 10 years, it takes 89 attendees to bring one new person to faith. Uh, recent research suggests that this might even be closer to 100 people, 100 attendees to bring one new person to faith. Uh, here at Acts 2 in 2016, we had 33 professions of faith. And it only took 18 people. It only took 18 people to bring one new person to faith last year in 2016. But what we know is that if we start something new, if we do something new, then we only need three people to bring one new person to faith, and we can bring that 28,000 people, those, that number 28,000, we can bring it down to zero. So that everyone might glorify God. Because we have been given the gifts and graces, we have been given this blessing, this opportunity, and what we are called is to do it to the best of Christ's ability in us. This is what we are invited to do, and, and, and so if you have your sermon notes uh, with you, on the back of it um, is actually uh, an invitation, um, an invitation, and I would encourage you to pray over this, uh, to pray over this and, and pray for somebody that you might bring. You might bring to our next worship service on January 22nd at Frontier Elementary at 10 a.m. Now, what we are trying to do is reach new people, people who do not have a church home, and, and I hope that you will pray uh, about this. Uh, you might make sure, whoop, that was a good catch, right? Um, you might make sure that, that you have you know, all the things filled out or else they, they, you didn't you know, pay attention. But then on the, on the, you, you'll have the January 22nd, you might hand them a flyer and say, you know, I, 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 I don't know if you have a church home, but you know, I'd be willing to go with you. I'd be willing to bring you. I'd be willing to pick you up. I'd be willing to meet you at the door. I'd be willing to do anything it takes to be able to, to meet you at worship on January 22nd.